Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be able to see. If you would like to, to pull your mask down during the, the course of the sermon, you uh, feel free to do so. If you'd like to leave it on, you're welcome to do so as well. Happy Father's Day uh, to all the fathers um, in attendance and watching from home. And welcome to those of you who are tuning in online as well. Um, we're glad that you have taken the time to be able to do so. You are missed, loved, um, but we all realize we are in unusual um, um, times. But uh, you ever find yourself uh, growing impatient? It's kind of an odd question to ask in this day and age, right? It's like an easy answer. Like, yes, I find myself growing impatient. Of course we do. It's fair to say all of us are battling some form of impatience in this particular uh, season. There's much taking place right now that's testing our patience. Uh, it could be our patience with one another. It could be our, our patience with what's going on within our culture and society. And um, let's be honest, we can find ourselves even growing in impatience when it comes to, to God. And what, we're, what are we prone to do when we grow in impatience? When we get tired of waiting. I think that's what our text today um, addresses so clearly. So if you would, open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 32. And in Exodus 32, we, we find a very familiar story, uh, at least a, a familiar story to, to many of us. It's the story of the golden calf. And here's the picture, here's the, the context that we find here. Remember back in chapter 24, uh, the Lord invited Moses and Moses' brother Aaron and Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel up the mountain to worship him, essentially to, to covenant with him on the mountain. And here it's where Moses told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So by that, he means he, he read them the Ten Commandments and he then told them all the laws that followed the Ten Commandments that we saw in the, from chapter 20 through chapter 23. And how did the people respond upon hearing all of this? Chapter 24, verse 3 tells us all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's how they responded. We're going to do this. And then they doubled down in verse seven and they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. We're going to obey. So they're, like, they're all in. We've, we're all in on this Lord. And essentially, they're, they're pointing out their wedding vows. Uh, until death do us part. The covenant, the I do's here, being signed and sealed, not with rings, not with a kiss, but with blood sacrifices. We promise upon our life that we will obey God's word or our blood be shed. And then after making this covenant, Moses proceeded up the mountain into the fiery cloud where he received instructions on building the tabernacle and institution of the priestly office, all things that we've looked at over the past couple of, of weeks. And, and he's there for 40 days. So 40 days and there's no word from Moses. He's not texting back and he's not sending a phone call in. Like people are starting to like, where is Moses? Aaron's come back down. 
Nadab and Abihu have made their way back down. The 70 other elders have made their way back down. But Moses has gone into this fiery cloud and he's nowhere to be found. How do you think they respond? Well, they begin to get impatient. They get tired of, of waiting. And as each day passes, that impatience grows more and more and more. And they become more and more restless which is where we pick up today in Exodus chapter 32, verse one. We're gonna just follow along this narrative today. So follow along with me, Exodus chapter 32, picking up verse one. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. So in their impatience, in their uncertainty, what do we find God's people doing in this situation, God's people sin. That's point number one. God's people sin. The reminder here to us that impatience can lead even the most godly among us to sin, to act in ways that is contrary to God's word, to, to turn our attention towards ourselves and neglect those around us. That's what we have here. The longer Moses was away, the the more impatient that the people became. Impatience with Moses, is he ever going to come down? And impatient with God. And this was their pattern, right? We see this throughout their entire portion. Like the first sign of trouble when they left Egypt, exiting out of Egypt, what do they do? Like, Moses, have you brought us out here to die? Like, what's wrong? We just want to go back to Egypt. This is no different. People become impatient. They come to Aaron, who is in second in command, and they demand for him to make them gods. And Aaron, in his impatience, gives in to the people's demand. Building them what? building them a golden calf, building them this this bull, this cow-like statue, idol. And what does that take us back to? What does it take them back to? It takes them back to Egypt. As the Egyptians worshipped any number of little g-gods that were manifested in the face of a cow or bull, so as Phil Riken so clearly states, once again, it was proving to be more difficult to get Egypt out of the Israelites than it was the Israelites out of Egypt. First sign of trouble and their impatience leads them to disobedience. It leads them into sin. 
makes them want to return to slavery, what they feel is comfortable. Oh, how similar we are, friends. See, we too are, are living in the wilderness. The, the wilderness between our, our baptism and our promised land, the new heaven and the new earth. And when things get difficult, what happens? We grow impatient. We want what we want when we want it, and we want what we want right now. That's the way we are as a people. That's the way we are as a culture. And where do we often look or tend to return when we grow impatient? Well, not to a realistic Egypt, but to our sin nonetheless. Now, you may be like, Jeremy, I would never, ever, ever build a golden calf and worship it. You're right. You probably wouldn't do that. But just like the Israelites can be tempted to, to we, we ourselves can be tempted here, not to worship an idol made of hands, but we can be tempted to worship the right God in the wrong way. That's what we have taking place here. See, the Israelites aren't worshiping Baal. They're not worshiping Molech or any other false gods in, in their opinion. They're, they're attempting to worship the Lord. So to this, to see this clearly in the text, quickly turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. This is right at the start of the Ten Commandments where, where God's introducing himself, kind of giving the authority behind what he's about to say. And he says in chapter 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice what comes first, their salvation. Grace precedes the law. Grace coming first, and then what does he do? Then he tells them how they're supposed to live. I've saved you, now this is how you are to live as my people. And he proceeds to give them the Ten Commandments. But now back to chapter 32, verse 4. But leave a finger in chapter 20, verse 2, because in chapter 32, verse 4, we see Aaron's words to the people. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see the comparison there? Aaron's words taking us back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, and he's twisting it. Now, look at verse 5, where Aaron says, here in chapter 32, verse 5, where Aaron says, Tomorrow we shall, shall be a feast to the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, to Yahweh. We're going to have a feast to Yahweh. And then what do they do? They offered burnt offerings and the peace offerings on the altar, just like they had done on the mountain back in chapter 24. So just like they had done when they gathered with the, the elders and Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu on, on the mountain and did the burnt offering and the peace offering, they're, they're doing that now here, Aaron imitating. So what we have here is an attempt to worship God, to worship the God who delivered them from Egypt. But they're doing it wrong. It's Romans 1 playing out clearly here that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, their impatience, 
leads them to disobey both the first and the second commandment no sooner than they had been given. Commandments of love the Lord your God would here as there's one God and only God. You shall have no other gods before him. And that you shall not make any carved images. You shall not make for yourself any idols. See, their impatience leads them to sin. Impatience leading to disobedience. Which is why our worship, our lives, must be grounded in the word of God. God's word anchoring our minds in the truth to keep our emotions from being tossed to and fro by our ever-changing circumstances. Oh, church, we need this reminder now more than ever. Impatience and preferences are not how we lead forth, how we walk forth in times of trial, nor in times of triumph. But now how does the Lord respond to their sinful impatience? Verse seven. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Now notice here, pause real quick. Notice God's language here. He says, your people. He doesn't say my people anymore. He says, your people. He's, he's fed up with them. He's tired of them. He's growing impatient with them in a righteous way. But he says, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. So point number two, God knows and responds to the sins of his people. A reminder to us, whether big or small, public or private, God knows our sin. He knows every thought. He knows every action. There is nothing hidden from God. And what's God's response to their sin? Verse 10, again, God's saying to Moses, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God's response to sin, wrath. All-consuming, destructive, righteous wrath. Why? Because sin diminishes the glory of God. See, to think lightly of sin is to think lightly of the glory of God. And to think lightly of our sin is evidence that we don't yet think rightly of God or rightly of our self. Because Christians, above all people, know that we are deserving of God's wrath. This is a fundamental truth of the gospel. There is no good news without the bad news. Bad news is we deserve God's wrath for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Now, as for Moses, he has a decision to make. Because God has placed before him what we can see as a very, very, very tempting offer. God offering to wipe everyone out except for him and to start over with him. So basically, he's got a Noah type of situation that's just being offered to him. Like, I'll start all over with you. I got to admit that if I'm in Moses' shoes, I'm going to be a little tempted to take the offer. But how does Moses respond? Thankfully, it's not like I would respond. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. In all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So what does Moses do? Moses prayerfully intercedes on behalf of God's people. That's point number three. Moses prayerfully intercedes on behalf of God's people. His prayer being rooted in what? The promises of God. Why? Because God is true to his character. Oh, such comforting truths. Not just in our day and age, but in every day and age. That God is completely true to his character. He is unchanging in all of his ways. He is a promise making and a promise keeping God. Oh friend, such comfort. And if Israel is to be the light to the nations, then how, how is destroying them going to accomplish this? Well, it won't. But that's what they deserve, right? They deserve God's wrath. But because God is a promise keeping God, he, he relents. How? Why? upon hearing the prayer of Moses. A prayer that is rooted in what? The promises of God. He has mercy based upon the prayers of an intercessor who was reminding of the promises. Oh, such sweet reminders of the intercession that that Christ makes for we who are trusting in Christ as our only hope in life and in death. We deserve God's wrath. We know this. It burns hot against our sin. But Christ, oh, such sweet words. But Christ being patient. Christ being patient with us intercedes for us. Reminding God the Father of his promises and his sacrifice and his work that atoned for our sins. Now after this in verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets 
When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of a cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and and saw the calf and and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. So point number four, Moses confronts God's people over their sin. Moses now coming down the the, the mountain with these two tablets, two tablets containing the the Ten Commandments that are written by God's own hand. And Joshua, being the military general that he is, he hears these cries in the camp. He's like, there's got to be war taking place. Oh no, wait. This is sounds of singing. This is sounds of worship. God's people are singing and dancing and debauchery around this golden calf, acting in direct violation to the second commandment. And what does Moses do? In anger, righteous anger, he throws the tablets to the ground and breaks them at the foot of the mountain. Then he has the golden calf melted down, ground into powder, has it placed in the water, and has all the people drink it. But you know what the Lord doesn't do? Well, we don't see any sign hereof. He doesn't condemn Moses for his actions. He never says, you're wrong for doing this, Moses. Nowhere. Why? Because the anger Moses has here is a righteous, God-like anger. He's angry because the people have sinned against God. He's burning hot, same language as we see that God used. He's burning hot like God burned hot against the sin. See, we too should experience righteous anger over sin because the sin is against God whether it's our personal sin, individual sin, corporate sin, sin should make us burn hot with a righteous anger. And if we don't, we need to pause and really ask why. Why does sin not anger us in a righteous way? Another note here, Moses, Moses loves them enough to confront them over their sin. He doesn't just sit back and be like, I don't want to be offensive here. I don't want to create a conflict. Now he he jumps in because he loves them and he confronts them over their sin. Oh, an important application, friends, that we too should love fellow believers enough to comfort them in love over their sin. Why? Because life and death hang in the balance. Sin is nothing to be played with or nor is it to be pushed aside. See, Moses was bringing the tablets down to place in the Ark of the Covenant. He was going to place them under the mercy seat inside the Ark. God reigning in judgment over the law, remember? Hovering and sitting upon that mercy seat. But this law was what? It was broken. Broken no sooner than it was given. 
And so the shattering of the tablets was a powerful declaration that in breaking one of them, they had actually broken all of them. They were all lawbreakers deserving of God's judgment. James 2.10 telling us this very thing that for whoever keeps the whole law but then fails at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. Imagine that. You, you keep it all, everything, except one point. The Bible tells us you're guilty of breaking all of the law, which means we're all lawbreakers. Again, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now the question is, why did Moses make them drink the gold water? That seems kind of weird, right? Like, why would he make them drink the gold water? Here's the answer. So they would taste the bitterness of their sin. So that they would taste the bitterness of their sin. A vivid reminder that the annihilation of the golden calf is actually the annihilation that they themselves deserve. The fact that they are able to live is simply the result of lavish mercy from, from God. It's also a testimony as to what repentance looks like. Destroying of sin. That's what repentance is. The turning from, but also the destroying of our sin. But rather than destroy our idolatry, what do we often do? Instead of destroying it, what do we find ourselves doing? Kind of tucking it away, right? We just kind of out of sight, out of mind, don't have to think about it, or so we think. But what happens the next time that temptation begins to, to raise its ugly head? Well, what happens the next time we begin to grow impatient and those temptations arise? Well, back out that idol comes. Back out that sin that we have failed to, to destroy or to do away with and get rid of. It, it, it comes back out. Yeah, Moses doesn't, have, doesn't give the Israelites that chance. And neither should we give ourselves that chance. We must destroy the sinful idols in our lives and only remember the bitterness that they bring. But what is our tendency with our sin? The same thing we see with Aaron here in verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, what do the people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of the Lord, my Lord, burn hot. You know the people, they are, they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let, let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. So what we have here is point number five. Aaron blame, Aaron's blame-shifting, half-hearted act of repentance. Moses confronts him over his sin, asking him, how in the world could you lead God's people to do such things? Well, Aaron's response, you know the people, like they're just set on doing evil. This is where their heart is. They told me to do it. Like they, they told me to. I didn't want to. They told me to, and... I just threw the gold into the fire and poof, out came this golden calf. Who knew? Excuses, excuses, excuses. But church, he's the spiritual leader. He's their pastor, if you will. Doesn't matter what the people wanted 
He was commissioned to lead them according to the word of God. And he failed to do that. No room for excuses here, Aaron. And if Aaron's response teaches us anything, it's, it's how not to respond to our sin. This is not what repentance looks like. Repentance doesn't cast blame. It doesn't make excuses. Our sin is our problem and we must take ownership of it. Fully confessing our sin and laying ourselves bare for the mercy of God. Have you done that today, friend? Have you laid yourself bare before the mercy of God? Because that's what it means to trust in Jesus as our only hope in life and in death. Because to get what we deserve is wrath. That's what we deserve. But mercy is our only hope is Christ. See, we can attempt to to make excuses and we can attempt to cast blame. Oh, we're so good at that, are we not? (laughs) We're good at minimizing our sin and saying it's not that big of a deal. But God knows. And his word tells us that his anger burns hot against our sin. So even if you can hide your sin for a season, maybe you go the rest of your life and people around you never know how sinful you really are. There will come a day when it will be made known. We will be held accountable for our sin. So what are we to do? What are we to do as guilty sinners? We're to respond like the prodigal son returning home to the father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. We pray like the tax collector in the temple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, we remember salvation is only for sinners. And we are sinful people who are in desperate need of mercy. Don't acknowledge and repent of your sin. You're saying you have no need for a savior, but friend, we all have need for a savior. We need Christ. Oh, turn to him today and be saved. But now look with me at verse 25 and what comes next. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of, of the camp and he said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. In that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. So what we have here is point number six, true repentance and the consequence of sin. Moses asking, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me, step, step forward if you're gonna follow the Lord. And who comes? The sons of Levi. That's it. 
One tribe out of 12 steps forward. But see, this is also the decision that every person has to make. Salvation is, is, is saying, are, are you with God or are you against God? Because there's no in-between. As Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. See, kind of following Jesus doesn't exist in the Bible. We'll find it nowhere in Scripture. Either we are or we are not. So I ask you this morning, are you for Jesus or are you against him? Friends watching from home, are you for Jesus or are you against him? Are you patiently following Jesus or impatiently attempting to carve your own path? Are you making the daily decision to leave your sin behind? And I say daily because we still sin. We will still sin. And when we do, we must repent of it daily, even moment by moment, a life of repentance. Destroy it throughout every moment of every day and continue to follow Jesus daily. And yes, this can be incredibly painful. It does not come without sacrifice. Just as we see in the the text, Levites step out to stand with God. And what does he tell them to do? Verse 27, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. Say, what? What? Well, that's our initial reaction, isn't it? We look at something like this and we're like, how is this loving and how is this fair? But if that's the question that's swirling in our mind, it shows that we still don't understand justice and we don't understand God. See, remember, Israel had made a blood covenant with God. Promised, remember, to death to us part, promised to keep his law. And if they didn't, their blood would be shed. That's chapter 24. And what do they do? They broke the commandments on their honeymoon. Basically, is what we see here. No sooner do they make the commandments, they've broken the commandments. They cheated on God while on their honeymoon, meaning they all deserve to die. But what God, what does God do? What God does, he shows mercy. Instead of everyone dying instantly, only some die. 3,000 is a large number, but it's not 2 million. God's justice would have been to destroy them all in an instant. But instead, he showed mercy by allowing the genealogical line of the promise that was made to Abraham to continue forward. And how do you, how do you think this would be enough, right? You would think that this would be plenty. You have the, the golden calf had been destroyed. You have 3,000 people dead. The, the people have suffered for their sin. But still, the the wrath of God is still not satisfied. So verse number 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin... But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will, I will blot out of my book. But now go, 
Lead the people to, to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. So in an attempt to, to satisfy the wrath of God, what does Moses do? Moses offers himself, his life, to atone for the sins of God's people. See, when Moses says, please blot me out of your book, what's he saying? I will give my life for the people. I will give my life for the people. Now you think about that statement here. And think about it in light of what God offered him in verse 10. When God offered to destroy everybody else and start over with him. But now what's Moses saying here? Now Moses is offering for himself to be destroyed. Removed from the book. To spare the people from God's wrath. Meaning what? Meaning Moses is now beginning to understand what salvation looks like. That a substitute is required to atone for sin. Moses offering himself as the people's substitute. Oh church, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But how does God respond? He rejects Moses' offer. Why? Verse 33, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. This being a statement of judgment, which includes Moses, which includes all sinners. Why? Because he, Moses too, is a sinner. Yes, he was their mediator, but he too was in need of a mediator. So while it seemed like the noble act was about to bring a climactic and joyful end to this story, but yes, Moses is going to redeem them. No, friend, this just leaves us longing. Longing for one who can sufficiently do what Moses has offered to do, but can't. Moses pointing us, as all the Bible is, to someone greater. Moses is pointing us to Jesus, who delivers repentant, believing sinners from the burning hot wrath that we deserve. See, verses 34 and 35 are the reminder that there is no escaping God's judgment on our terms and our efforts and our ability. But the gospel, the good news, is unless, unless, unless we turn to Jesus as our only hope in life and in death. Jesus fulfilling the law perfectly for us. Jesus paying our penalty perfectly for us. Jesus ensuring that our name, if we have repented and believed in him, will be written in the book of life forever. Oh church, the more we study the book of Exodus, the more we look at the life of Moses, the clearer Jesus becomes. So as difficult as this world may get, don't grow impatient. Don't, don't grow impatient with one another. Don't, don't grow impatient with God. 
be patient, walk in obedience to God's word, and rest in the finished work of Christ. Rest in the one who has showed his patience with us more times and in more ways than we can ever begin to count or imagine. Be patient and continue to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your patience with us. Forgive us for being an impatient people. Forgive us for when our impatience leads us to sin. May we be a people who remain grounded in your word, anchored to truth, not tossed to and fro by a rapidly changing and confusing culture. Worshiping you, our sovereign God, in spirit and in truth. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.